Welcome to the Way of the Weaver podcast, where we explore magic, justice, and community. Thanks for showing up to our queer-centric, radically enchanted conversations. Our world needs your magic. I'm Jamie Wagoner. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm coming to you from Muskogee land in so-called Alabama. I'm Murphy Robinson. My pronouns are they or he, and I'm coming to you from Indakna, the land of the Abenaki people, also known as Vermont. to episode two and today we're talking about what is a spell and why do spells work so Murphy how do you define a spell that's a good question a lot of times when I'm trying to describe uh, paganism and magic to people people are a little confused about this because spells can sound really scary and intimidating Um, and I think one thing that's good to do is to like define the difference between spells and magic because these two words are bandied around a lot um one definition of magic that we use a lot is that magic is the art of changing consciousness at will which is a definition written by Dion fortune um and so i consider spells a skill set within magic and they're specifically designed to move or change a part of your world whether that's your physical world your mental world your spiritual world it can work on a lot of levels um you know, other things which are magic but are not spells are things like divination, trance journeys, uh, you know, running a ritual, doing energy work, the practice of devotion. These things aren't spells because they're not like trying to change a thing. So spells include a purpose or an intention that involves change. Um, they usually include a combination or a separation of like discrete elements they, these can be like physical things, like you're lighting a candle or mixing together some herbs or something like that. They could be verbal things, like you're speaking a, ch- a charm or something like that. Um, there can be just different like written and spoken forms in in a ritual that's, that's a spell or, or spiritual forms of combining things or separating things to like symbolize the change that you want to happen. And it also has to involve like a charge of power in some way like you're really putting some of your personal power into this otherwise it's like just sort of a a wish but not a command kind of I don't know (laughs) um but you know putting together these pieces the idea is that it's going to result in like hopefully two things and the thing that's like less controversial and easier for a skeptic to believe in. Um, and we love skeptics. Uh, we, we are skeptics ourselves, I would say. Yes. Um, yeah. Love skeptics. Totally. <laughs> Skepticism is welcome here. Um, but the, the sort of skeptic friendly answer of like what a spell results in is like a shift in personal outlook, a shift in perspective, uh, an increase in your confidence as the spellcaster. Like you're basically just like changing your own personal mojo and that's uh, <laughs> going to change the effect that you see in the world in response. Um, so that's sort of the like power of positive thinking kind of, you know, framework on spells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, you and I happen to think there's a little more to it than that. Um, I do. <laughs> that there is like an answering shift in the energy of the world around you that's a little more mysterious. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, not everybody is at first uh, oh, oh, even aware of the idea of the world around you being reflexive and like being in relationship at, with with you. Um, and then I think, yeah, I think like you said, that's a little bit harder. That's a little bit harder thing to believe. <laughs> I think it's um, something until, you kind of believe it when you see it. Like once it yeah, happens exactly. for you, you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that, like, you believe it, like, when your spell works, and you're like, huh, <laughs> would you look at that? <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah, yeah, it's something to be experienced. <laughs> Definitely. Um, what, I mean, how would you define a spell, Jamie? What do you think a spell is? Uh, well, everything you just said, <laughs> I completely agree with. And I think, you know, just to expand on that a little bit, um, I think there are, like, five components of weaving spell work and sort of putting this all together. And, you know, uh, we had, we had kind of been looking at, um, there's an esoteric philosopher, Antoine Favre, um, who we had been looking at some of his thoughts and his philosophies on uh, the components of magic for preparation for some of our way of the weaver classes. And we went ahead and sort of overhauled, um, his five components and developed our own framework. Um, that we love to overhaul think... the work of old white guys. It's really fun. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So our framework, you know, it's, we think, you know, modern uh, Western magical practitioners weave these components together when, when they're practicing uh, spell work. Uh, the first component is agency. So agency, when we focus our desire and our will, we create actual change in the world and ourselves. So agency is the first component. The second component is correspondences. And we often teach about this. Uh, we build layers and layers of meaning, of resonance, of symbolic action through selecting the appropriate timing, the colors, images, herbs, stones, uh, other components that are representative of the outcome that we desire. Uh, correspondences, they enhance connection, they enhance um, similarity, equivalence. It's almost like using an increasingly more powerful magnet to draw to you <laughs> what you're trying to uh, enact with your spell work. And this kind of um, this next component, I think, speaks a little bit to that uh, skeptic piece we were talking about earlier, eminence and animist intelligence. So, you know, in Way of the Weaver, we teach that the world is ensouled and intelligent. Um, it's an animist viewpoint. Our spells speak our will to the other souls or the other spirits that make up this eminent world. And those souls or spirits can choose whether or not they want to respond to us. And Jamie, and, can we like to find yeah. the word imminent? Because I think people are probably picturing ah. other spellings of that word when you're saying that. So that's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. So I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. It's like a, yes. an unusual word. Yeah, it's um, sort of the, the, the world around us, the world, the world that we are consciously aware of. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the way that it's like filled with spirit and alive. That's, that's the implication. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification on that. Um, so that's the first three components, right? We did agency, we did correspondences, we did eminent world and animist intelligence of the world. And the fourth component is shifting consciousness at will 
and access to the unseen. So, um, you know, Murphy, you mentioned Dion Fortune's definition of magic being the art of changing consciousness at will. And so, you know, when we cast a circle and we enter ritual space or we enter in a space where we want to do a protected spell casting, we're shifting into a really powerful and receptive state of consciousness. And in this state, we can interact with various realms that overlap the material world, right? There's sort of the ordinary world, <laughs> our, our day-to-day -day world. And then there's kind of the extraordinary world, right? Which is what we're engaging and playing with when we're doing ritual, when we're doing magic. Um, we can utilize uh, we can utilize these spaces. We can utilize trance techniques, uh, you know, different things that can help us speak to um, what we like to sometimes call the unseen ones. It's you know those spirits, whether they be guardian spirits, spirits of land and place, elementals. Uh, the fae, the gods, the guides, <laughs> all those unseen ones, we can shift our consciousness and access um, the unseen ones to help with our spell casting. And then kind of the, the fifth component in, in this framework is symbolic action. So, you know, the unconscious mind doesn't really make a distinction between a material action, like a physical action in the world, and a ritual action. Like to the unconscious mind, they're all the same. And so ritual actions um, or spell casting are powerful messages to our unconscious self. And, and these the symbolic language of spells, like working with the correspondences, working with, uh, you know, rhyming and magical language, um, these carry uh, really powerful messages. And even on a subconscious level, it changes how we carry ourselves. It changes what we notice. It changes how we respond to the world. So that's a lot, but it's a little bit of the philosophy behind why spell work is powerful and and, and just how it can actually work. Yeah, I think that ex that is a nice framework for understanding both those sort of like personal attitude changes and the larger, more numinous sort like forces that can be brought to play. Because there is a lot about it that is like, oh, I've done this spell and so I'm really focused on this thing. And now I'm like asking all my friends if they know of a lead for this new job that I need to find. And then it comes to me and it's so like, maybe you were just more proactive, but there's also that layer of like inviting the unseen world to support you in that. And, and I think a big piece of that is like articulating your intention for the spell. Like what is the thing that you are enchanting for? Um, and that's a lot of the power of the process is, uh, you know, that's like a lot of the reasons people go to therapy and things like that is to like actually <laughs> articulate specifically yeah. and clearly what is the change they want to see in their life. And simply articulating that is a powerful step, but spell work brings even more power to yeah. realizing that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it may, you know, talking about it in these terms may, you know, on the surface, it may seem kind of unfamiliar, but honestly, I, a lot of people have already encountered this, you know, the, uh, you know, shifting consciousness at will and accessing the unseen. I mean, if you've ever, you know, said a prayer, <laughs> basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's a very similar act. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sometimes I think of spells as like prayers with props. Like you've got your, you've got that. your little candle, you've got your uh, hematite stone, your like dried <laughs> herbs, like you've just got like a lot of fun props. <laughs> and, and there's props. also, I think, more personal agency in it. Prayers are specifically <laughs> yeah. asking like another being to like make this change for you. And I think spell right, work is a little right. bit more personal empowerment in it than that for most people. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think so too. I mean, uh, you know, a spell can include a petition for aid, but it doesn't have to. So, right. Yeah. So, uh, Murphy, do you think that spells work? <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the prize question, isn't it? Um, I think that spells often work. Um, I think just like everything, they don't always work. <laughs> um, I think that they also don't always work in the way or on the timeline that we intended. Um, and we can help mitigate that by like building our spells really skillfully and getting a really clear intention um, and being like detailed enough. I don't want to say like super, super, super detailed because you also need to leave room in spells for like unexpected ways of the solution manifesting. Like you want to enchant for the solution, not for the like specific mechanics of the solution, because there may be a better solution out there to your for your goal than the one you've been able to think of. Um, but like being specific enough that you're getting a solution that works for you. Um, and um, and yeah, they can take longer because sometimes it's a big lift and the forces that be need a little time to like rearrange things for you. <laughs> um, and also sometimes they don't work. And um, one, one of the things that we teach is having like an escape clause in your spell. That's like, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> like what's an example of a good escape clause, like this or something better, or if it is, mm -hmm. if it is for the best outcome for all, may this come to pass or something like that, like kind of giving a little bit like, yeah, if this is actually a really bad idea, you know, if like me getting a new car this month is actually going to result in me taking a trip where I'm going to die in a car crash, then maybe I don't actually want to achieve that goal. You know, like the sort of like playing out of fate thing. Um, yeah. So like sometimes your spell doesn't work and it might be because you put that escape clause in there and the forces that be are doing you a favor and letting you know that that's actually not what would be in your best interest. Yeah. Um, this or something better is a, an incredibly helpful phrase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. And sometimes it's just poor spellcraft, like things weren't specific enough or there, it just um, wasn't very well executed. Um, there, and uh, sometimes it's just too big an ask as well. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like there were a lot of people enchanting for like a very specific downfall of a certain president over the past little while and like <laughs> that's another one that maybe is happening like on a belated timeline or something like that. But um uh, you know, sometimes it's just a really big ask. You can't necessarily, you know, one person casting a spell for a certain outcome in an election or something like that is not um, not necessarily that achievable. I don't think that would be influencing a lot of people. You got to do work on multiple levels, not just the spellcraft level to achieve that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of when you ask if when you ask if spells work or not, it's sort of like asking, like, does a bow and arrow work? Um, like when <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm an archer, so of course I'm going to this, uh, <laughs> this uh, metaphor. But um, so like when you shoot your bow and arrow, like, yes, the arrow leaves the string, unless you're a very, very bad archer. But, um, you know, usually the arrow <laughs> leaves the string. But um, it doesn't always hit the bullseye. It doesn't always even hit the target. That depends on how skilled we are. So when you're casting a spell you're you are casting energy out into the universe and that is real but whether or not it hits the target is depending on your skill and there's also external factors like in archery it's like how far away is the target is there a crosswind is someone distracting you um things like that and there may be external factors in the thing you're trying to achieve with your spell work that 
might cause you to miscalculate a little bit. Um, so I think that, that the, the power that we send out in Zellwerk is very real. And also it is, um, it's not just complete silver bullet. Like it is still interacting with other forces in the world and may succeed or not based on those factors. Yeah. That's a great metaphor. What do you think, Jamie? Mm. <laughs> do they work? Well, I, <laughs> I do. I do think they work. Um, you know, I think just to kind of, you know, to backtrack into, you know, you know, the, the way let's get in the way back machine and go back to 1999 when Jamie was a baby pagan, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, I think for, in order for spell work to, first of all, for, in order for spell work to exist as a thing and for it to work, you have to have certain beliefs, certain like cosmological beliefs, um, you know, and potentially most magical practitioners go through a phase and it's usually near the beginning of their studies in spell work and magic. And I certainly went through this phase where I had to consciously like suspend any disbelief in events, influences, and outcomes that were outside of ordinary reality. Um, I had to just focus on engaging um, what some is sometimes called by psychologists, the active imagination and engage that active imagination when I'm spellcasting or in a ritual space and just suspend my disbelief. <laughs> and, you know, that could be, that can be, that's a skill and it, you know, it can be learned, but sometimes it's hard, you know, sometimes it takes some time and, you know, the acceptance of extraordinary reality, which I think, you know, uh, successful spell work definitely falls into that. Um, you know, that happens over time. Um, ritual and magic, they almost are time outside of time and space outside of space. They're in this sort of liminal place where the spells can come alive, where they can grow, where they can gain momentum, and then they affect change in the material world, right? So, you know, and then I guess the idea is that the how of, of how this is all working is the spellcaster is the mechanism or the vessel for the interactions to occur, right? So that you're the you as a spellcaster are the mechanism that is interacting between the ordinary and extraordinary reality. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's how it works. That's how, you know, that's how, that's why, you know, when you increase sort of your ability and your understanding of working with magic over time, you certainly can become a more and more powerful spellcaster. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, that's what I think. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that one other interesting thing to like note here is that like there are a lot of like academic studies on like scientific studies on whether or not Christian prayer works. Um, oh, yeah. Particularly yeah, in, like are. physical healing situations and stuff like that. But there, you know, a lot of money has been pumped into like trying to prove that Christian prayer works. And a lot of these studies, I have not looked at the at the practices they used and seen like how biased the frameworks of these studies were. But my impression is that like some fairly serious scholars and scientists have looked at these and found them to be like sound academic work. And they have shown that it does have a positive influence. And so my question is like, why would that not also work with other gods? You know, if you're praying to uh, a pagan god from pre-Christian times, from your ancestral background or something like that, I don't see why that wouldn't work in the same way unless you just believe that there's only one God and that's not a real God. But like, if the gods are real, then we have these other studies that 
might be transferable. And until somebody like funds a study on whether like praying to Bridget is effective in healing ceremonies, then we won't really know. But like, I think it might be transferable. <laughs> that would probably be a very niche grant. I'm not sure where you yeah. would get that <laughs> You know, and I find, I find that spells often work. Even, even when I was a little baby pagan and I was, you know, not quite as adept at magical practice as I am now. Um, you know, I find that they do work and, you know, if they don't work, it's just something that happens. Uh, it kind of like, kind of like life. It's like your metaphor that you're talking about with the bow. You know, sometimes we apply for jobs that we don't get, or we try to set up dates that don't work out. And there's just something not right about the timing or, you know, uh, the components or something like that. But I think that they, they often work. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, do you have an example of a spell that you cast that worked that you'd be willing to share? Oh, um, well, let me see. I have cast a number of spells over the years. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I actually cast a spell for a job um, back in 2001. And this was when I was uh, working in the corporate world. I was working as a graphic designer and copywriter. And I had moved from St. Louis to Atlanta and was having a... Um, it was in 2001, and actually, it was right after 9-11, so the world was pretty topsy-turvy anyway, and it was very hard to find a job, and I cast a spell. I cast a ritual circle. I got together components that were symbolic of the type of job I want, so, you know, tools that you use in graphic design, um, you know, some money, uh, different things that corresponded with what I was trying to, trying to draw the opportunity to me, and I, you know, uh, I, you know, bundled up all of those items and I, you know, I sat with them, I poured energy into them, poured my magical intent into them. I chanted over them. I, you know, petitioned all of my guides and gods to go out there and network for me uh, in the unseen world. And uh, I actually ended up getting a very good job. Um, I think that was, you know, that was in mid-September. I ended up, I was employed uh, by early October and I actually ended up like working for that company, <laughs> just kind of moving up through the ranks and doing different jobs there. I ended up working there until I want to say 2010. Yeah. So, um, so I'd say that was a pretty successful spell. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good one. What about you? <laughs> what about you? <laughs> I've definitely done spells that have worked. Um, let's see. I feel like I always tell the story of how Hades found me a Jeep. I'm not going to tell that one today because <laughs> I'm sick of it. But um, it was a great Jeep. <laughs> um, anyway, and then I could afford it. But anyhow, um, I mean, this is maybe a like a less convincing example in some ways, because if there's skeptics out there, which I'm sure there are, we love you skeptics. Um, but because um, it's an example of like things that didn't happen. Um, but I cast a spell of protection on my land and, um, mm. I, uh, my, my land, I live down four miles of dirt road on the side of a big old mountain in rural Vermont. And, um, my land is actually accessed by a small private bridge. So you like turn off the dirt road and you go up over this little sort of timber bridge, um, over a brook, and then you come on to the bulk of my land there so it's like I kind of have almost a drawbridge it doesn't actually come up but it's like energetically it feels like you're you're crossing this threshold wouldn't it be cool if you could have an actual drawbridge that would, I have that would dreamed definitely... about that if I inherit a million dollars I'm gonna build a drawbridge but that would um, definitely suit your style I think yes <laughs> my medieval sensibilities 
but yeah. <laughs> um so this this bridge is like a really clear threshold onto the land and so I did a protection spell for the land that only um only like people who wish us well and who mean well and are not harmful would cross that bridge um and I did that spell by making a bind rune um, which is taking a combination of the Norse runes, which all have their own unique symbolism and power, and combine them into one fused symbol where they're sort of stacked on top of each other. And it's unique uh, for the intention of that spell. And I painted that bind rune on the bottom, like underside of my bridge, um, using menstrual blood, um, because mm-hmm. that is a material that my body provides once a month. And, um, it's a, you know, it has a very powerful signature of my own being. Um, and it's, it's nice to have a form of blood that doesn't involve having to be injured, um, mm-hmm. having to, to cut yourself or anything like that. So I feel like it's a powerful substance. And so I painted it on there with menstrual blood and a paintbrush and I chanted the runes out loud. I did a, what's called a galder of the runes, um, mm-hmm. and put a lot of intention and energy into that and asked like the spirit of the water and the brook to help protect our land as well. Um, and it, it's been really effective. We haven't had anybody problematic come over the bridge before that. And, um, you know, part of that may just be that we're like inhabiting the land. I mean, we've been on this, this land for six years. It was, it was raw land, uh, when the deed came to me and, um, you know, we're, we're a little bit more obviously inhabiting it now. Um, but in the beginning, I remember like, sometimes there would be like a drunk guy sitting in his car in, on my land when I got home from work. And cause oh like, it just sort of didn't really look like anyone lived there, I guess. Cause it was just my tiny house. Uh, um, okay. and I never, I mean, I was always able to kind of like shoo them away, but it was like that at that time I had no cell service, no phone service, no internet. Like it was just me and whoever was there. And I had to just, you know, use my instincts and and navigate that situation as best I could and I haven't I haven't had any kind of situations like that since um since the spell was cast and we have felt very good and safe all throughout you know the COVID lockdowns and all these things have just treated us really well so it's like an example of things that didn't happen but I I feel like it was effective and uh, we're actually gonna have to put a new decking on the bridge in the next couple of years, because the the hemlock boards are rotting rotting out, and uh, we wanted to support all the all the cars and everything that are, need to go across it. So I've been mm-hmm. I've been contemplating. Um, I'm gonna have to look back in my journals and find that binder in again. But I'm feeling like I need to um, renew the the binder in protection spell when we put the new deck on the bridge. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, and uh, I actually write down my spells too. I don't know. Do you write Do you write down a spell when you, yeah. when you come up with one and cast one? Yeah, I always put that Some in my people- journal. Yeah, some people do, some people don't. Especially if it's a bind rune, because I might need to like reproduce it or it might be useful to reproduce it at some time. You yeah. can always make a new one. But if it's working well, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? You know, I you know, it it really just all comes down to spells are a powerful way to put your intention and your needs and your desires out there to a reflexive universe. And a lot of times it's fun. <laughs> it's empowering. Um, yeah, it is. It's empowering. Um, you know, and if spells do work, I mean, that's some powerful stuff. And we definitely need good magical ethics around that. And I feel like maybe we might do that on a future episode, you think? Yeah, I think ethics is going to be a recurring topic on this podcast. And um, <laughs> yeah. You know, in in our programs, in our teaching, we almost always start by having our students craft their own code of ethics. So we're mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm 
we tend to be like, you know what, you should be responsible for your ethics rather than being prescriptive. We encourage people to really yeah. think through what they want their ethics to be, but it's still yeah. really useful to have some open-ended discussions on that to help people think about that from new directions. <laughs> well, yeah. And so we'll definitely talk about that in the future. Um, but I think that's it for today, right? Yeah, I think that covers the topic pretty well. Okay, so we do have one piece of exciting news to share with everyone. Murphy and I are going to be hosting a Weaver campout in July. And uh, Murphy, can you tell us a little bit more about what that's what that is, what that entails? Yes, um, we're going to be hosting a Wave the Weaver camp um, in Vermont on the land where I live. Uh, with the pr protection spell on the bridge, so don't bring any ill intentions. Um, and um, uh, that'll it'll be like a four day weekend, like Friday at noon until Monday at noon, July twenty first yeah. to twenty fourth, and it will be four days of magic. Uh, it's open to people who've been to any of our programs, and also new folks who are weaver curious. Um, we will be having a deity theme of the weekend, which we have not announced yet. Um, we will be having ritual, we will be having skill workshops, um, and also just like a lot of hanging out at the brook time because it's a gorgeous place to be in July. It's just such a nice bit of forest that we have here. Yeah, it's it is so pretty there. And uh, we're going to have 30 spots available. So as soon as we open enrollment uh, for this camp, we will post it on our website. We'll be posting it on our Facebook page. We'll post it in our Instagram feed. And if it's something that you think you might be interested in, you want to watch for that announcement because we only have 30 spots. Uh, we are doing this on Murphy's land. So space is limited and um, there, there will be 30 spots for folks. And also I I believe that we are trying to line up an awesome cook to cook for us for the weekend too. So more information is going to be coming out soon about sort of the, uh, the deity we'll be working with and kind of the, the arc or the theme for the week and who is going to be feeding us yummy, yummy food. <laughs> yes. We always make sure that weaver gatherings are extra delicious because that feeds our joy and therefore our magic. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And probably, you know, knowing the weavers that, uh, that, that are going to come to this camp, there will probably be a magical dance party. Oh, <laughs> I imagine well, that, that would be likely. Yeah. So save well, the date, July 21st. Come join us for Magic in the Woods and uh, we'll open enrollment once we get all the details sorted out. Thanks. A special well, thanks to Jamie for uh, my brand new <laughs> podcasting microphone that I'm using today. Hopefully my sound is a little better than uh, last time. Um, appreciate the, uh, the hand-me-down microphone. It's very nice. Oh, you're quite welcome. No, no worries. <laughs> well, thank you once again, Murphy, for a lovely and informative and thought-provoking conversation. And as for everyone else who's listening, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. See you later. You can learn more about Way of the Weaver programs on our website, wayoftheweaver.com. So if you like this episode, please share it with your friends. And it also helps if you write us a review. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. They'll be coming out on or around the 13th of every month. Our theme music is by Fern Maddie. You can find more of her incredible music at fernmaddiemusic.com. And remember that magic is real, present all around us, and a profound tool for justice and transformation. Use it well. <laughs>